Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about strip tillage, but we would be happy to discuss anything that's going on on your farm if you want to give us a call here. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. Before we do, I just wanted to let you know, we have the Ag PhD field day coming up this summer. And I know it's a long ways away, but if you're making plans for your summer, be sure to include the Ag PhD Field Day. It's always the last Thursday in July, so this year that would be Thursday, July 28th. You know, a lot of people ask us, well, why, why do you do the field day in just one day? Why don't you have like a three-day farm show or something? I, I, I'd say there are two main reasons. Number one, we try to bring in some fantastic farmers from around the country and around the world to speak to you about raising better crops. And you know, if you're a farmer, it's hard to get away. So to ask these great farmers to come in for one day, I mean, that's that's about as much as we can ask them for. And then the other side of it is we want to make sure that you have a fantastic experience when you show up. And so for all our people that help us at the field day, you can imagine how much energy it takes to be on your A game all day long. Well, then are you going to really do that for three days and bring the same energy? No way. I'm sure you've been to day two or day three of any farm show anywhere, and it's not the same energy as day one. So anyway, it's just a one-day thing. It's free. We do it every year to say thanks to you for watching Ag PhD TV and listening to us here on Ag PhD Radio. Again, that's Thursday, July 28th, always the last Thursday in July for the Ag PhD Field Day. Just go to agphd.com to learn more about that. We also have an event for, um, let's call it more beginning farmers, and it's called our Scouting and Scholarships event. And that's the last Thursday in June, so it's a month earlier. But if you've got someone who is going to college or is going to start college here this fall, we are going to be giving away a number of scholarships. Last year, I think we gave away $23,000 in scholarships that day. Uh, this year, it's going to be even more than that. So we're, we're really excited about that event. You can just go to agphd.com to learn more about that or anything else we have going on here. Right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! Had this one all ready to go yesterday because we had another question about pearl millet come in, and this one came in from David, and he said, uh, guys, I'm sending you a question about pearl millet. I'm growing this down in Georgia for food plots, and quail are going to be eating this pearl millet, but when they eat the coffee weed or sickle pod seed, not sure they can digest it, and this particular weed is really taken over. So wondering pre and post in pearl millet, what are some of the things that we can do? Now, yesterday on the show, if you were tuning in, we started talking about Sharpen as a pre-emerge product at two ounces in pearl millet. Does a really nice job on many of the broadleaf weeds, also adds burn down. So if you're out with a Roundup burn down, for example, and you have Sharpen with it, Man, it's fantastic. So you're going to see some some nice residual control when you can get up to that two-ounce rate of sharpen. Yeah, but what weed did you say? Sickle pod. That's what I thought. And technically, sickle pod's not on the label. 
that I know of anyway for Sharpen. And I, I mean, I think you're going to get some suppression. So that's well, what I would count on. I just wouldn't count on control. It's, a, it's about your best bet. And one of the challenges right. with perlmillet is a lot of those great pre herbicides have grass control to them, and they cause some pretty severe injury to the perlmillet. So, so that's not so good. Post-emerge, you got a lot of different broadleaf choices in grass crops. So you'll yep. have to look at what's labeled in your state. But uh, historically, things like 2,4-D products, Banvel products, uh, Bucktril or Bramoxanil products have been good choices for broadleaf control. And they're labeled in pretty much every state for pearl millet. All right. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. Uh, I got a little feedback. This one comes from Mike. He says, I'm an agronomist over in Greece, and I'm checking out your content online. Please don't stop. It's useful information for me. Hey, Mike, thank you so much. It is kind of neat, as Brian and I have got a chance to get out and do some traveling over the years uh, when we get into different areas. Oftentimes, farmers are facing the same battles, and it's really nice when we can compare notes and share information with each other. So thanks, Mike. We really appreciate that that uh, you're checking out our, our show and that it's useful information for you. Got this one from John over in Minnesota. He said, I got a lot of guys in my area now that are concerned about tar spot coming in on corn. And I was looking at some research data that Purdue had done, and I saw some surprising ratings on tar spot, including Domark. That's a cheaper option than some of the other fungicides, and it seemed to do pretty good, at least in that one trial. Just kind of curious what you guys think about Domark as an option. Uh, many of the guys in our area are using Delaro Complete and, and some of the multiple mode of action fungicides. Yeah, it's fine. I don't have any real big issue with it. The The biggest thing that I would say is with Domark, it's a triazole. So it's only one mode of action. It does not have a strobe to give you the plant health benefits, and it does not have an SDHI in there to give you more broad spectrum control. But it's fine. Usually, if you've got a tar spot issue, you're going to have to spray twice anyway. So our advice is typically spray a couple weeks before tassel with something like let's call it Delaro Complete or some other two or three mode of action product. And then if you want to follow up later on with a cheaper choice, Domark would be just fine. Uh, by the way, there is Brixen too that's got Domark in it. And that's a combination of the Domark active ingredient and the active ingredient found in Quadris, which is, an, which is a strobe. All right. Thanks for the question, John. Really appreciate that. And and you're right. Tar spot moved a long ways into Minnesota last year. So it's certainly something corn farmers within 100 miles of where tar spot was last year are probably going to be watching pretty close this year to see if they notice some in fields around them. And, and also probably getting some preventative fungicide applications out because that is always the best way to deal with disease issues. Get that protection out before the disease gets there. We're going to be talking about strip tillage on today's program, but we'll also be taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Soybean growers are dealing a swift blow to tough broad leaves and grasses with the two-in-one power of Moccasin MTZ. Moccasin MTZ combines the power of s metolachlor and a higher load of Metribuzin for outstanding weed control right from the outset with extended residual control to keep tough weeds down, including pigweed, waterhemp, ragweed, and mare's tail. In addition to annual grasses like foxtail and barnyard grass, ask your retailer about Moccasin MTZ and always read and follow label directions. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? 
If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And our topic is strip tillage. We'll take your calls and questions about that topic or any agronomic uh, topic you want to discuss at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us, radio at agphd.com. We'll get to some of those um, emails coming up here in just a little bit. But we'll start off talking about strip till. We got our friend Chad Henderson with us right now down in the state of Alabama. Chad's all done with planting, just about ready to start harvest. Uh, Chad, how's it going? Oh, it sounds good. It sounds like a plant. <laughs> no, I don't want to Man. wish away a growing okay. season. There's so many lessons to learn. Man, you got that right. So, so many failures at our fingertips, ain't it? <laughs> okay well i look at it this way we we start off trying to get fertilizer out there to feed our crop and get a seed bed set and that's one of the things i like about strip till is i can accomplish both of those things with one trip through the field what have you seen with strip till down in your area well you know we've we've learned a lot you know we're we're behind you know a lot of guys been up y'all's way and halfway in between us have been doing this for a while and got a lot more knowledge but but they've been good and we've shared shared a lot and been able to get, glean a lot from them but um one thing we see is we like to run it as dry as possible we try to run it when it's wet the ground's heavy and you know we're learning about that slice and creating a compaction at the bottom of that zone so we've we've definitely learned a lot that's for sure you know, one of and things- with, with fertilizer prices with fertilizer prices we're just looking at trying to be an avenue a tool that's in the shed you know to save some money yeah, absolutely. And that, to me, for a lot of growers, they, they look at, oh, it's going to cost me a little money to buy a new machine or to buy even a, a really good used machine, uh, but I know I'm going to be cutting my fertilizer rates back, especially on some of the rented ground where I don't know if I'm going to have it uh, a year or two right. years from now. Why put any extra out there? I'll just put out what I need and, and put it where my crop can extract it. And speaking about that, I look at the root system where we're doing strip till and our soybeans, my goodness, putting that fertility close to the row on soybeans has been good. Have you tried it on beans yet, or have you been focusing mainly on corn? We've been focusing on corn. We, uh, we're still we're on 15 inches with our soybeans, and we 
and we may run some this time where we've stripped till for some corn ground and then run in the strip till, you know, on the 30s would be on the beans and then the 15s in the middle would be on conventional ground. We may do some of that just to compare apples to apples, you know. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to set the planter, you know, two different ways all the way across the board, but it would be a good comparison to be able to dig a plant on each side, you know. All right, I was giving you a hard time. You're probably all done planting and just about ready for harvest. How how is the planting season going, or the planting preparations going? It it it's the preparations. We you know we had a dry week. I'd say about three weeks ago or so, and we got a lot of field work done. And it was almost getting dry enough to do some field work. Some of the guys started to plant some yesterday. I hear, and we didn't plant any. And then we got four inches last night. Three anywhere from three and a half to four inches across the board last night. So it's holding water everywhere wet again you know and uh we're actually in the in the in the uh out in the driveway today running meters on the planter so we're actually putting some corn in sitting and sitting there and let it run the meters through you know (laughs) well i wish we were getting that three or four inch rain (laughs) we we could take that rain from you chad if you got got plenty down there just send it our way yeah, I, I was talking to Lee Lee as well and Kelly up there, and they were the same way. They said, we'll trade you just a little bit of dry weather for, for a little bit of rainfall. <laughs> yeah, we'll want the dry so, weather back but, here in a few weeks when we get started. We we would normally start April 10th if everything's good here. What would be your normal yeah. start date on corn if everything was good? I would like to – I always say around the 15th of March would be would be a good start date, you know, and then that would be that would be great. But, you know, last year was April the 5th before I could get started. So it, it was the same pattern last year. We started beans and corn on the same day. Now, on your strip-till, Chad, is this something you guys do only in the fall, or do you do some spring strip-till as well? We're, so so we, we run it in the fall as much as we can, but we haven't had to labor. We know we're trying to – we're still tr- we're trying to plant wheat. We're trying to finish bean harvest, you know, our late beans. We don't usually get, cutting, get done cutting beans around Thanksgiving. And so we're trying to finish up harvest, but we're going to try to run more in the fall. But most of ours is done anywhere from that fall to in the month of January, if we can get it dry, or the month of February. And it, and it changes. You know, we'll just be running potash and dap in uh, December or January. And then when we get to February, we feel like we're close enough to planting. We'll start mixing some of your real with it and then getting actually, you know, getting some in in there. Sure. So. And, uh, you know, it's just a good place for us to, you know, to address some boron. We can address, we love the strip till as far as addressing things that a farm needs, you know, where you, where you don't have to broadcast a large amount of, of, you know, your zinc and things like that. There's a lot of different ways to, to utilize strip till, no doubt about that. Well, Chad, thank mm-hmm. you so much. Really appreciate yep. having you on today. I'll, I'll send you some dry weather and hope that pushes the rain up north here too. Man, yeah, we'll let that, we'll let see the red <laughs> dust flying if you send some dry weather. <laughs> you bet. Well, thanks, Chad. Good. Good to talk to y'all. You bet. Uh, let's head down to Nebraska. We've got Ty Fickenshire with us. Uh, he's with Luma and uh, talking about strip-till. Uh, Ty, in your area, it's mostly fall strip-till, correct? Or is there some or are there some guys doing spring? Well, you know, it depends on if cattle are grazing stocks. You know, we, get, we try to get as much done in the fall around our part of the world as we can. But with cattle on stocks, especially along the, the Platte Valley, and even with the, believe it or not, with the sandhill cranes coming through, a lot of guys have to push that off till spring. So interesting. Yeah, there's always different. Yeah. There's always different conditions going on. That's why I like to to ask those questions. So you know, for for you guys that have been doing this for a long time, versus the the first or second year guys getting going to strips, 
What are some of those lessons? Chad talked about some of the lessons that are getting passed on from the guys that have more experience. How about in your area? What are some of those key things to make it work? Yeah, he was he was right on. I'd say you, know, you get those conditions where it's a little too wet, and that causes more problems than, than if it's a little too dry. And I think we're kind of the same weather pattern you are there around Baltic. Is we've got a uh, pretty dry conditions here this spring, so looking to get going pretty quick. But uh, you know, again, think back two years ago, it was a little too wet, and started having some issues of planting with uh, with that slice eating the seed up and and not being able to get German good germination anyway. How about for the guys that are out in the spring? I know when we look at the fall and building up a berm, I'm assuming for you and your area and your soils, that's going to look a little bit different than if a guy was doing things right ahead of the planter. Yeah, you know, you get, and it depends on how wide. What we've seen is how wide that knife is. If we're pulling a, if we're pulling a knife, we get a really wide knife. We might get a really nice berm in the fall, and then as the winter comes in, that really settles it down. Um, we try to keep about a half inch to a five eighths inch knife is all we try to use, and we might not get quite the berm, you know, in the fall or spring, uh, but we also see that it doesn't settle down quite as much as what a a wider knife would. Also, okay, um, you know, one other thing Chad mentioned that they change up as they get closer to spring. He said they're mainly running P and K if they're getting out there shortly after harvest, but if it gets closer towards spring. You said they're adding some urea into their strips. Do you see guys putting nitrogen in the strips, or are they mostly doing P and K and micros? Yeah, we're actually seeing more um, more guys using nitrogen in the strip, you know, especially in the spring. But in the fall, I'd say we're mostly focused on, you know, phosphorus, maybe sulfur, and, and definitely zinc. Um, I know one of our neighbors, he puts in boron at that point as well, just what Chad was talking about, get some boron out there in the fall also. And he's seen his, his soil test results come up as a result of that. So, you know, really looking at more of the immobile nutrients in the fall and the mobile nutrients, your NP, or excuse me, your nitrogen, sulfur, boron. Um, if you're doing like a liquid or a lower application, we'll put that on in the spring. Last question for you. Uh, when I'm out behind a planter, I like to dig across the row and try and get an idea of what the firmness is around the seed and really what's going on all the way through. What are we doing with that machine? How about with strip till? Do you like that strategy of going across the row to kind of see what the bottom of that strip looks like? Yeah, I mean, that's still maybe even more important than in a, in a no-till situation. Um, just, so, just like I said, you know what you're planting into, and if you're getting off to one side of the strip or the other with the planter, you know, what are you what are you getting into? And I know there's a study done um, years ago by uh, a strip till manufacturer, and they saw if you got off to the side of the strip too much, you start seeing some yield sacrifices. But um, I think if we get consistent uniformity across the across the strip, we see that we see that reduced for sure. But absolutely, um, yeah, just making sure we're getting getting it broken up really well is important. Yeah, we've done a lot of those trials on our farm, too, just moving a few inches to the side here and there to see what happened. And, and you're right, if we can stay somewhere in that strip, that's that's our best result by far. Uh, Ty, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Stay safe this spring. There's a lot, a lot of work to be done out there. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. 
Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about strip tillage, but taking your calls and agronomic questions on any topic that interests you. 844 44 Ag PhD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Let's head up to North Dakota State University. We've got Greg Andrews with us right now to talk a little strip till. Greg, how you doing? Uh, just fine. Thanks. You know, as we go north in in uh, the United States and get up into Canada, a lot of growers say, man, I just have a hard time getting soil to warm up. What have you seen when it comes to strip tillage? Is that enough of a tilled space to get that kind of uh, warm up that they'd like in the spring? Um, certainly will help with those crops that respond to warmer soils, and of course they all do. So we, we like the system... Um, to maybe help with establishment with with corn in particular, and uh, and then we've done work with with other rural crops as well, such as soybean, dry bean, and, and sunflower, and then on in the valley, uh, there's been work done with sugar beets as well. 
So there's been a fair amount of work looked, looking at uh, the soil temperature in comparison to other tillage systems, and and uh, certainly there's there's benefits there. Yeah, there's, there are so many crops. I'm glad you brought that up. It's one of the things that I wanted to ask you about. Just in the state of North Dakota, there are so many different crops being being grown there. And I can only imagine whenever you take on a research project like this, uh, you get about 10 different crops uh, or farmers raising 10 different crops screaming at you, hey, how about my crop? How about my crop? Did you see one crop respond more than, than another with strip till or, or did you see a similar response with all of them? Um, in general, the response was similar compared to conventional tillage systems, but it certainly varied by year. If, if there's a dry year and we're comparing to conventional tillage, uh, we might see some yield advantages just because of the, the soil moisture conservation. But in general, we like to say that certainly the yields with strip-till, strip-till system will be similar to conventional till. Um, occasionally, we'll see yield increases, but we're certainly not expecting that on a consistent basis, but certainly can match those of conventional teal. So I really like to say the strip teal is a nice way to move from conventional to some to some type of conservation tillage. And strip teal is a really a nice step, in particular for corn and and others like dry beans. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I like it with uh, leaving some ground undisturbed, leaving some residue out there to protect the soil from wind erosion and and just give you a nice spot to drive on so you're not uh, causing more compaction the next spring. The other thing I think with North Dakota, and you get quite a challenge because your state has such varying soils and growing conditions as you go from the east to the west and as you go from the south to the north. Do you see more strip-till being tried in North Dakota in the valley? Do you see more being tried as you head west? Where, Where are guys giving this a shot? Uh, in general, I'd say there'd be less in the valley. Um, it's hard for people to, to move from conventional tillage. Um, in my experience, strip till came to the state in the early 2000s, and it was in the southeast part of the, the state and out of the valley. Um, and soils are a little more coarse textured, lower organic matter soils, where, where they are more concerned about soil erosion, although we should be concerned about it no matter where we are in the state. And then, so there was really a buzz with strip till in the the mid to late 2000s, and then it, it had been quiet until more recently. Now it seems like there's a renewed interest in in this um, conservation tillage system, and, and I'm glad there is. It's it has a lot of advantages, um, and uh, I want to mention while I'm thinking of it, we do the NDSU extension does have a, a publication on strip tillage that covers. Uh, production aspects as well as some economics and uh, we're not going to cover everything in the short visit today so i like people to refer to that to to get more details it's also uh, jointly edited well authored and edited by the university of minnesota so it's actually a a two-state effort in putting the publication together excellent well thanks for mentioning that greg yeah for for growers 
uh, towards the northern part of the United States and up into Canada, a lot of times there's questions because it certainly is different when the growing condition or the the growing season is a little shorter and we, we don't have quite as, as hot a summer or as long a summer. And this is one of those ways that, as, as Greg was mentioning, if you're in conventional till and you want to get into a little more reduced tillage system, uh, it, it's a good way to get moving that direction. Hey, Greg, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the work you guys are doing up at North Dakota State. And thanks for being on the show today. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Let's head out to Wyoming. Speaking of growers a little further north in the United States here, uh, we got Butch on with us right now. Butch, how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you guys? Pretty good. Pretty good. Okay, so Greg, great. I wonder if Greg stole a little bit of your thunder, but uh, he was talking about all the different crops that, that farmers were trying to put through strip tillage systems up in North Dakota. How about in Wyoming? What, what kind of crops? Is it mainly corn that's getting put into strip till, or are there some other things too? Um, I do corn, sugar beets, and edible beans. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, talk to me about the sugar beets a little bit. We get a lot of questions around that crop. What are some of the advantages that you saw with strip tiller or some of the things that, that at least got you curious enough to give it a try? Um, we have to get those in early, so it's nice to have, you know, the organic matter the trash, I call it trash. It shouldn't be trash. But, yeah, I usually follow corn beets behind corn stalks. Okay. So wind erosion is a big issue where I'm at. So it's nice to have that cover um, when the beets are coming up. It it helps immensely. And <clears throat> I've even noticed um, the corn stalks, you know, flop over on top of the rows. If you get a really bad cold night, it actually helps out. As far as uh, they don't die. Yeah, you get a little <laughs> so, insulation there. It does. And so uh, it helps with water. A um, lot of different things like the, you know, it grows the roots a lot deeper, it seems like. And it's easier to, they, they're actually easier to dig um, for some reason. It's, they, they grow out of the ground a little different. So it's, they pluck out of the ground a little easier. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, when it comes to, to that strip are you putting fertilizer in the strip or how how are you managing that and maybe it's a little different uh, from from corn to edible beans to sugar beets um yeah we we put fertilizer down we do everything i I would really like to go do stuff in the fall Um, by the time we get done harvesting we're knocking on you know ground freezing kind of so plus we got some cattle grazing on some of it but as far as we do most, we do all of it in the spring. So we're about ready to get started. Um, and yeah, we're putting fertilizer down on all the crops. Um, I split zone it. I put it at the bottom of the trench and in the, about four inches up. So I split zone everything. Same mix. Um, I don't do a different mix in each zone, but I do do the same mix and just split zone it. Sure, sure. Now, you mentioned the cattle grazing out there, and I know we were talking earlier um, with Ty Fickenshire down in Nebraska, and they had kind of the same situation that where cattle are grazing, they're just waiting, build the strips in the spring. How, how does that work? I know everybody's always nervous about compaction when they've got grazing cattle out there, and I know in Wyoming, it stays frozen for a long time, so you probably avoid a lot of it, but uh, when you get out there and build those strips, I have to imagine you have a great seed bed. Well, we we don't get away from compaction. Um, we've had some issues with the cows. Plus, I spread some manure, 
So uh, my oldest son actually convinced me last year to get an inline ripper. So, and I don't know if it, last year we tried it for the first time and we covered quite a few acres with it, probably a thousand acres. And what we did is we went and took the inline ripper in front of the strip tills and <clears throat> we just ran down the same zone that we was going to rip sure. or run the strip till. So we went down the same zone came back behind with the strip till and honestly it worked really good oh yeah um yeah i love the idea some different different crops and the only thing i didn't do it in was the edible bean side of it we did it in the corn what we went to corn and sugar beets in and it did you could tell a lot of difference where we did and did not do it so well thanks um, for sharing yeah, that we got thanks for sharing that tip. yeah that that's a good tip and we may talk about that just a little bit more on the show here coming up hey butch thank you so much really appreciate you being generous with your information and your time today thanks yep thank you talking strip tillage on today's ag phd radio show stay tuned it's planting season race against the clock season mistakes can't happen season and no one helps you face it all like john deere putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster that makes your spacing and depth more accurate, and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product, it's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. The next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for RLX Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds in wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. 
low-use rate Authority Supreme herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Strip tillage is the discussion today on Ag PhD Radio, but we'll take your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD as well. Just before the break, we were talking to Butch out in the state of Wyoming, where it's known to be a little dry, and also where they face some compaction problems, especially where they've got cattle grazing out in pastures. And Butch, Butch talked about the concept of, hey, let's run an inline ripper. We've got... Uh, 30-inch spacing on our inline ripper, and then we've got 30-inch spacing on our strip till, and uh, deal with that deep compaction, and then come right over the top of that strip and do strip tillage, and he saw really nice gains in his corn and in his sugar beets. Um, I, I think it's a great strategy, Brian. The only question I have is if it's really dry, is that going to be just too many things going on out there, or will the strip till and then plant right away kind of seal it off and get the, the seed going with a little bit of moisture? Okay, so when you talk about the moisture thing, I'm less worried about that in strip till than I am conventional till. So just for example, last spring I had to remind our guys that we're doing tillage out in the field, like, guys, look, if you're going to do full-scale tillage, that's fine. We had planned to run the field cultivator, and I'm great with that on certain fields where we had put manure on the prior fall. But I said, you have to plant the same day. I mean, there's no, um, oh, I'm going to work it, and a couple days later I'm going to plant it. No, because you're going to lose moisture. It's a problem. With strip till, like I say, I don't worry about that as much. So I'm I'm not that concerned about that side of it. What I am concerned about is the kind of work that you're doing with this inline ripper and then coming right back over the top of it with, let's say, it's a shank machine. Now, if it's a coulter machine, I would, I'm a little less worried. But nevertheless, I am still concerned about air pockets in that soil, the soil settling, and us having a problem as we move forward. So I don't um, I, I guess if you're going to do fall inline ripping and then let's say it was spring strip till with a coulter machine, I'm not too concerned. I think that would be just fine. If it was fall strip till uh, uh, after that inline ripping, then I might be just a little bit more worried about the type of berm that I'm going to create and the type of seed bed that I'm going to leave in the spring. But it, it certainly can be done what he's talking about there. All right. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of things to think about in terms of how to make strip tillage work and a lot of different situations and, and, uh, uh, different things like we were mentioning sugar beets, for example. I know a lot of folks like, like Chad Henderson was on earlier talking about corn and, uh, and then we had a couple guys talking about sugar beets and what kind of gains they saw there. So certainly a practice that could work for a number of different crops. Larry from Missouri over a break called in and had just said that that uh, let's see this I'll, I'll I'll read you what he said he didn't want to be on the air but he just said there was an author that wrote wrote a book on strip till and they called this person the father of strip till uh, Bain B E H N anyway at the time they said that strip till wasn't suitable in certain areas because of terracing but he just let's see he just wanted us to know that. Um, 
Look, we have terraces. We do farm on the contour, and Striptail works fantastically well there. So I don't know why that's a big problem other than this. How do you follow that strip well when, let's say, like on our farm, we're running a 12-row strip-till machine and a 24-row planter? How do you make it track well when you're on a side hill and you're on the contour and you're going around a terrace? It's not perfect, but in our work that we did this is quite a number of years ago now when we first started strip-tilling, we were concerned about that very thing because we thought, oh, man, what if we get off the strip? How much yield is that going to hurt us? What we found is we were creating roughly an 8 to 10 inch uh, berm and strip there. And we thought, all right, if we can at least keep it on the strip, we're probably going to be good. And sure enough, that's pretty much what we found. If we were within five inches either side, we were fine. So basically, we were still hitting the strip or really, really close to it. If we got in between the rows, then yes, we suffered just a little bit of yield loss. Yes, our crop didn't look as good. It was delayed emergence and everything. But we've done this for many years now on hilly ground, contours, terraces, everything. And we've been able to follow pretty well. Now, we have more modern technology today, too, with GPS. And you could even put GPS on your equipment. So in other words, not just on the tractor, you could have a second system on your equipment. So whether that's a strip till machine or the planter, so then things could potentially adjust and you could follow that row a little bit better. So talk to your equipment dealer about that. But I'm not that worried about it. I think it works great. I would say this though, going around the contours, fine. Going up and down steep hills, I don't love that as much. We have had some cases where we have done that and we've washed out a little bit in that row when we had uh, when we had um, big rains right after that. Okay, uh, we had one other one, uh, scouting and scholarships. I said it was on the last Saturday in June. Um, if I mistakenly said it was the last Thursday in June, I don't think I said that. Our Ag PhD field day is the last Thursday in July. Our scouting and scholarships event is the last Saturday in June. So anyway, just wanted to clear that up. If you've got any questions for us, or if you'd like to call into the show and talk about anything that's going on in your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Okay. Finishing up on the strip-till thing, I, I would say there is a big question from a lot of people about coulters versus shanks. If you're going to do spring strip-till, almost always our advice is coulters. At this point, it's probably not the best decision to go out with a shank machine, and here's the reason why. With a shank machine, you're going to want to run deeper. Most people do, and that's fine. I love it. Like on our farm, I love running down to 9, 10 inches deep. So now I have no compaction down to that 9 or 10 inch depth. We do it in the fall. We come along in the spring and plant. It's slick. And Oh, and also the other nice thing is it allows us to put some fertility down at 9 or 10 inches deep instead of the 2 to 4 inch depth where most people have a lot of their fertility, including, unfortunately, us. So we've, we've started moving a lot more of that fertility down deeper to load up the subsoil as opposed to just that top couple 3, 4 inches. Anyway, 
by the time your ground is fit to strip till in the spring with a coulter or sorry with a shank machine going down nine or ten inches you probably should have been planting two or three weeks earlier you never know i mean maybe it'll be a dry spring and maybe everything will be fine so you can run down deep with that coulter or with that shank machine but i doubt it in most cases you're going to want a coulter machine and then run relatively shallow let's say you're running three or four inches deep now you can get out there a lot sooner. You don't have to worry about the ground being fit so deep. And then that allows you to plant much earlier. I would say, too, one of the biggest advantages and one of the biggest reasons why you may consider strip-till this spring is the price of fertilizer. It's gotten absolutely ridiculous. It's at an all-time high, and it appears to me it's heading even higher in the short term. I'm not saying for next year, but I'm saying here in the next couple of months, don't be surprised if fertilizer prices go even higher. So if you're trying to get by on as little fertilizer as possible, yet still get a fantastic crop, you, number one, want to soil test and see what you've got there, and number two, you're going to want to band your fertilizer this year. By banding, your plants have a much better chance to get that fertility that you have applied this year. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with broadcasting, but it's just that when you broadcast and you have row crops like corn or soybeans that are in, let's say, 30-inch rows like we run, well, in between that row, your odds of getting all of that fertilizer extracted that you just applied are zero. Your odds are zero, and I mean zero. You're not going to get it all. You're going to get a percentage of it. You're just not going to get 100%. And in a year when fertilizer is high-priced, why in the world would we put more fertilizer out there that's not going to get used up and is not going to necessarily help you this year? I'm going to hope that fertilizer prices are lower next year. I don't know about this fall, but I think I'm hoping by next spring, certainly fertilizer prices have come down. Well, then I'm fine throwing a little extra fertilizer out there. No big deal. I'll have it for two or three years down the road, whatever. But this is not, I mean, for me anyway, not really the year I want to build soil fertility levels to a real high degree. So banding makes a lot of sense and strip till is a pretty good way to apply fertilizer. All right, we're going to get back to your questions in the IPHD mailbag coming up right after this. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. When you're up in your sprayer, remember to look ahead into the future. Because if you've made the smart decision to plant Enlist E3 soybeans, now's the time to protect them with Enlist herbicides. The superior tank mix flexibility easily allows multiple sites of action 
and keeps your weed control programs effective beyond just this season. Visit Enlist.com to see how a better weed control system can help fight resistance on your fields today and tomorrow. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Don't let resistant weeds win on your field. Herbicide resistant weeds are a fierce competitor of corn growers. Tough 5EC, a selective contact herbicide manufactured by Belgium Crop Protection can help. Tough 5EC synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix team and beat resistant weeds. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Get this one from Ty, who is in western Colorado. And Ty said, I recently leased a new crop circle. A good portion of this field is now grass. It was originally planted as alfalfa, but had not been rotated properly. The owner wants me to till it up. However, I've farmed 7,000 irrigated acres the last decade or so and have gone completely no-till. I'm wondering if you think I could just burn down this sodded field this spring successfully and no-till in a pea-oat nurse crop with my alfalfa. If you think this would work, what would you suggest I use for a herbicide? The other option is I could wait till fall and burn down and then no-till cereal rye and graze it and then burn it the following spring and go to my nurse crop for alfalfa. Okay, can you do burn down? Absolutely you can. The problem is going to be with all that residue out there, you're not going to get perfect seed to soil contact, and I will promise you, you will not get as good at an alfalfa stand as if you were to till it. Now, if that's your choice and that's what you decide to do, I, there's nothing wrong with that. You can certainly do that. And when but what got, I'm saying when he's got is peas in that mix. It's going to well, limit what you use to burn down. And to but me, why that do you says, want why do you want peas in? Why why are we doing that? Why don't you just direct seed alfalfa? I don't understand that. You've Especially already got all kinds of, yeah, and you got all kinds of residue out there already to basically protect it from, um, uh, what am I trying to say? If there's yeah. sand blowing yeah, and it cuts the plant off, issues, or, yep. yes. So anyway, um, I, I'm just saying if it's me, uh, I'm tilling it and I'm going to plant alfalfa direct seeded and I'm calling her good. But for you, if you want to go no-till, you certainly can. Just understand you're not going to have as good a stand. So I might seed a few extra pounds of alfalfa per acre to make up for that. You you have to have fantastic 
fantastic seed to soil contact to get alfalfa seed to grow. You typically want to seed it, roll it, pack it, and then generally speaking, you have the best luck. So those are just my thoughts. All right. Uh, thanks for the for the question, Ty. Yeah, it sounds like you're real comfortable with the no-till, and, and I agree with Brian. I'd go the, just the straight alfalfa route. I don't know why you're doing the nurse crop, but even with that nurse crop, um, you could you could still do it with a Roundup burndown. You're just going to have to wait for some warm weather for that Roundup to really work, and that could be a challenge in western Colorado, but you, you get temperatures that go up and down and up and down in the spring, so you just need a, a, a week or so where you've got pretty good warm weather, and, and Roundup should work fairly well. I got this question from Tim down in Texas. He said, guys, I've been watching some of your shows through RFD TV, and I've got a question around Dallas grass. Uh, other than MSMA, is there anything that can be used for Dallas grass in the south that seems to plague fields, and when it's cultivated, it spreads like mad? Um Tim, there, there are some other products. It just depends on what crop you're in, and that's the that's the challenge. Oftentimes, we see Dallas grass becoming an issue in the grass crops, and in warm season grass crops, yeah, there are a few other options, and I'm not sure how many of those you've tried before or, or how far you've looked into them, but a bunch of the sulfonylurea herbicides are actually pretty good. And I was just looking at some of these active ingredients, Brian, that they're using for Dallas grass. And, and oh, for those um, of our listeners who aren't in an area that has Dallas grass, this is uh, a, a weed that grows really fast. It's a grass. It's got spreading rhizomes. It's a perennial. And those rhizomes store a lot of carbohydrates and energy, which makes it really difficult to control. Even with Roundup, you've got to be really on it with the rates that you've got. You got to make sure you get a good lethal dose into that plant. The leaves are hairless, so it's tough to stick things to it. And it starts putting seed on in, as early as May in the South. And really all through the season, it could be going to seed. So that's that's really tough. So none of the pre's are, are very good at it at all. And the best thing, when you read any of the, the data from all the universities in the South, they say, man, you got to get out there in the fall when, when temperatures start to cool down, then spray it again four to six weeks later when it regrows, then spray it again in the early spring. This sounds like a fun weed to fight, Tim. I'm, I'm glad we don't have this one up north just yet. But looking at some of these active ingredients on these sulfonylurea products, here, Brian, let me throw some, some active ingredients out at you, and they're going to sound familiar. Thion carbazone methyl. That's something that we're using in a lot of crops up here. Um, Foramsalam. Wait, Varro. Yep, yep. Thion-carbazone so methyl. Yep, so that would be the active ingredient in Varro. And uh, in Husky Complete, there's thion-carbazone methyl, right? Yep. Then foramsulfuron. Uh, I'm not sure about that. I know it's in a product called Revolver that gets used in turf. Uh, and that's not the greatest one on this, but... Uh, it's it's in some of the premixes like tribute total, and then halo sulfuron, which would be permit or sedge hammer, real good sedge product. Uh, so they've got a three way combo called tribute total that works pretty good in warm season turf grasses, but it's going to take quite a few uh, applications in some of these things. Uh, other products like Celsius have the thion carbazone methyl with iodosulfuron and dicamba, which are active ingredients used in a lot of different crops too, uh, and pasture situations. So there, there are some of these SU. So that's the direction I would go if you've got a warm season turf grass. Uh, the other thing that, that just reading a little about Dallas grass, it goes dormant later than a lot of the other grasses like Bermuda grass, for example. And there are some guys that have been using Roundup 
after the Bermuda grass goes dormant. I know you've been nervous about things like that, Brian, in the past because we see guys doing that in alfalfa and other crops too. What would be your caution of well, using? Well, yeah, but it's different. It's different with alfalfa. That you got to treat alfalfa very gently, whereas Bermuda grass and brome grass, you can be a little more rough, and the the plant still comes back and it does well. But if you ding up alfalfa, <laughs> the life of your stand just got shortened, and eventually you got to take it out. So just diff- totally different crops and different situations. All right, one last active ingredient I'd throw at you, Tim. And if you had this in your lawn, uh, the lawn care guys are talking about fluazifop, which would be fusillade that we use in our soybeans, for example, or ornamec would be the turf grass version of that. And the guys have seen about 80% control with a single application. So that's really pretty good for a perennial weed with rhizomes like that. So it's a a product that you could use. Just make sure you aren't going a super high rate. Um, Follow the labeled rate there because you need a high enough rate to ding the Dallas grass, but a low enough rate not to hurt any of the perennial uh, turf grasses that you got. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. Uh, it's, a, it's a great weed of, of I should say, a great, great weed, weed of the week because <laughs> it's a real tough one to get under control. All right. Got a couple of soil samples here sent from Tom. And I think Tom's in Minnesota, but it, I'm just guessing from the samples, but it doesn't say. Uh, Tom said, hey, I got a couple of samples done. My provider does things just a little different than some of the things you talk about with Midwest Labs. Uh, just curious what you think and also about some of the recommendations on some of the micronutrients, even some of the ones you don't normally talk much about, like cobalt. Okay, so first of all, I am not familiar with this lab that's getting used, and so I can't really tell you 100% for sure on the results and, and exactly what I would do. I'll also say there are some products getting recommended here that I haven't used before, and so I, I, I don't know what to tell you. Hum, the Humate Carbon, the SK Microsource, the Bird Manure Turkey, I don't know what's in that. The Tennessee Brown Rock, um, I, I, I just, I don't know. I need to see analysis on those things to find out what's really actually in there before I can tell you, oh, this is a great recommendation or nope, I would, wouldn't spend the money. One thing I would say, there was one of these, let's see, one of the two samples said, throw some gypsum on. And I'm, I, I assume the reason why is because there's very low sulfur out there. But when I look at, for example, the percents on, base, on the base saturation test, it's uh, 69% calcium and 22% magnesium. And so I'm guessing they're putting the gypsum on to raise the calcium, push the magnesium down a little bit. But one of the things that we often talk about here is, hey, we want to get everything in balance, not just calcium and magnesium, but we're looking at the other stuff too. So for example, your potassium on that one is 2.87%. Well, that's too low. We want to see that at least 4%. And if you raise the potassium up, maybe the magnesium goes down a little bit. I don't know exactly how it's going to shake out, but if it's me, I'm pushing that a little bit. So, I I mean, I, I just say in a year like this, when fertilizer prices are really high and you look at what the cost is going to be to do all these things, gypsum would probably be the one that I would cut out if I was going to cut something, I would certainly look at micronutrients, NP and K. Gypsum's more, it's down the list for me, especially when you're throwing manure on the field already to get your gypsum or get your sulfur up. So anyway, that, those are just my thoughts. 
Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. And thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.